Welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Tractor Zoom delivering insights and dry shod boots, the official work boot of the Moving Iron Podcast. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and I imagine the weather is significantly better in Boca Raton, Florida than it is in Scottsbluff, Nebraska today. So how you doing, Sean? Doing pretty good. Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, we're still in the summertime pattern here, you know, 92 today and you know, 120% humidity or something like that. But oh, I mean, yeah. it's, you know, we're still in the, we're, but we're thankful we've been saved from not having hurricanes uh, threaten our area so far. But the, today's weather right now looks pretty good where we're standing. So, well, let's uh, talk about this a little bit. So, we've had, I've had a pretty big snowstorm come through here. Um, I don't know that I've seen snow this early in my life, um, as long as I've been alive. So, um, you know, we had uh, just north of me a little bit. There was as much as 10 inches of snow. There was a blizzard in Wyoming, which is a typical snowstorm in Wyoming. I don't think they have anything other than blizzards in Wyoming. But they, you start looking around and seeing what's happened. We had, you know, luckily, knock on wood, the cold temperatures didn't come through to uh, to really do damage where I'm at. As, as much as they were expecting, they were, you know, they were calling for like 26 degrees, and I think it only got down to about 32. So it wasn't too bad on our part to make sure that that all that all worked like it was supposed to so i guess as you uh sit back and take a look at this weather pattern that we're in i mean next week's weather pattern is um i think we're back in the 90s you know so we go from 105 ish i think it was 100 degrees on saturday to 32 on monday this kind of week kind of sputtles around in that low 70s you know lows around you know the high 30s low 40s and then next week we jump into this, you know, summer pattern again where it's 90 plus degrees and, you know, it's going to wreak havoc on, on cattle out there. So I guess as you look at this weather pattern, we've talked about it a million times on here. What are your thoughts on this weather pattern that we're seeing right now? Well, as you know, we've been on record saying that we're expecting a very warm fall, a very long late fall. So these cold shots that you get like this, that you get from time to time, has more to do with the upper level airflow pattern change we've talked about so many times going from the um, uh, zonal flow of the jet stream to the marinal flow, you know, north and south, that these grand solar cycle patterns tend to cause these short-term dives of cold air. Did I lose you there? No, you're good. Okay. Mm. okay. Uh, these dives of cold air in, um, and then you get these air clashes, which is what the, you know, you get these blizzards, snowstorms, flooding, that sort of thing. But this is not the year for a persistent cold pattern in the fall. Um, it's the next fall that we're expecting a more persistent, cold, early start to the fall, early frost season, long winter. This is still going to be a pretty warm pattern. We're not really expecting what we would consider to be normal or below normal wintertime temperatures until middle of December. So it's, it's so because of that, you know, this shot still tells you that we hit this weather volatility that we're uh, been talking about in this new kind of grand solar cycle minimum pattern is alive and well, but we're in a warm pattern. So these cold snaps are not going to last this year. Not this year. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, that's good to hear. 
one more one more year before we have to buy an extra coat. So it'll be things are looking things are looking up. Um, as you as you sit back and look at what's going on in the marketplace right now, you sent out a text message to uh, to your followers um, and subscribers to your service on uh, over the weekend about a smart modern smart money report that came out that you got and um, got some pretty good signals there and weren't necessarily um, there's a little ominous feel to what you sent out. So talk about that a little bit and what you see happening there. Well, we you know we we know that every commodity is tied to each other. Um, there's nothing lives in isolation. There's a, there's a general flow, rising tide, falling tide. It does not mean all markets have to go together perfectly, but we do know um, a rising tide floats most boats. And so what we've talked about all year long, Casey, is this W pattern for markets post-pandemic. We went back for a thousand years and looked at how do markets typically react. We get the initial crash market, which we had projected would end in April, which it did. We projected that we would have this significant relief rally in asset markets that would peak in the fall. We've had that relief rally, and now we're starting to approach the fall. That would be led by another overall general downtrend in asset markets into the spring for the second part of the down part of the W. And then from the summer of 2021 onward, it's the upward part of the W that is, a, is the rocket ship higher in, in asset markets. That is historically what has always happened. And so Within that pattern, we're looking for signs, for signals that are telling us, you know, when we might be completing the W. And one of the th indicators, you know, as you know, we follow the what we call insider uh, smart money capital flows. And we've developed an indicator that goes over 28 different commodity futures contracts. We take each individual smart money algorithm, we put it all together, and we create an indicator of when does that signal t tend to give a buy signal or a sell signal as a general asset class, we triggered a sell signal last week in overall commodities. It doesn't mean every commodity has a sell signal. It just means the overall asset class triggered a sell signal. As an example, our last sell signal for the overall commodity asset class was January of 2020. Um, and of course, that was the auspicious <laughs> uh, month just before the crash in commodities. Little did we know you know, why we were getting a sell signal in commodities in January, other than to say that it was a prescient time to be careful to the downside of commodities. Now, by the way, it doesn't mean this has to be a crash. No two declines are the same, Casey, but it does mean that we're probably approaching a top in asset markets, including stock markets, by the way. We've had this violent reversal in stocks last week. We continue to kind of have some trouble. So it appears that we are starting to develop what we call this, this W top pattern here in the fall. And that means ag markets are going to be impacted by it. Some will be impacted greatly, maybe like cotton you know, or lumber. You know, if you look at the lumber market, uh, Casey, you know, it had this, this surge, this parabolic rise, and it's been completely crashing, completely crashing here. Um, I think it's been limited down three or four days in a row. Another sign that maybe things are getting a little, a little murky. And, of course, we have these elections coming up, Casey. That, uh, well, there's an election? Here. I didn't know that. When's that yeah, happen? you know, I, I got a, I got a text on my Twitter from President <laughs> Trump that the elections are coming up. So, <laughs> um, and you know, I, look, we take the track that one can make a bullish argument uh, of how the elections turn out. One can make a bearish argument. I think there's going to be a bullish and a bearish argument, which means wild volatility. But probably we're going to have an initial negative 
downside volatility to the elections because our general view is both sides, whoever loses, will not accept defeat. And so it'll be mired in legal morass, we think, for several months, probably to be decided by the courts in some shape, way, or form. And so maybe the smart money is picking up on this. Maybe they're figuring that there's going to be some, some turbulent waters through the election, or maybe they know something else. You know, maybe there's something we have no idea about that's coming that will present itself between now and, and the next, you know, 30 or 60 days. All we know is these signals have been pretty reliable for a long time. And when we get one, it just means, you know, if you're a producer, you know, if you're a farmer, if you're anybody that's on the, on the, on the producer side of commodities, you know, you just might want to do some, some, some protecting. You want to, might want to make some sales. You might want to just make sure that if you've got stuff you really need to do in the near term that you really can't afford not to do, maybe you ought to get that done, Casey. I'm not talking about the longer term stuff. I mean, we're, we, we're very constructive ag markets heading into 21. But in the, in, the, in the near term, you know, we would just make sure that we don't want anyone out there who's producing commodities and ag markets to sell the low, like mm -hmm. many did in April. Yeah. If you've got something to do, if you know coming off the combine, you got to sell 20% of your crop, you know you got to do that, maybe you should do it now. You know, just don't take a chance that you get caught uh, in some crazy catalyst that not, knocks markets down and then you're forced to having to sell when the market's down because we've had a good rally. Uh, obviously, prices are not as high as we'd like them to be, but this is a much better time to sell, Casey, than uh, you know than we were in early August when corn was pushing 318 futures right. on December. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So plenty of plenty of stuff still going on. You know, typically it's Thursday. You would typically have a an export report come out from the USDA about what got shipped where and to whom and how much and all those kind of things. But you know, they had a holiday on Monday, so I just can't squeeze it in. You know, we gotta I gotta keep the same <laughs> the same four days and do do what they do. So it's a tough one, I know. But nonetheless. If you if you take a look at what's been going on, China's still buying a bunch of stuff, right? Um, yes. Brazil is still um, kind of kind of doing some some thrashing around there, talking about back and forth. Are they going to to uh, take tariffs tariffs off of imports of grain? Are they not? You know, they're kind of going back and forth on that. The EU has said yes, we're going to do that. And so, I guess as you take a look right now, again, the U.S. Is still has a, has a really solid position as far as supply goes to of high quality stuff to go to china so china's to come to the table and buying stuff they are woefully behind where they should be on the phase one deal and we've talked about that and we both expressed our opinions on that but i guess as, as you take a look at what's going on there in the export side of the marketplace um do you see a chance that china could could come to the table here late um late in october and and buy a big shipment of stuff especially with this last typhoon that came through, um, it really made things worse than they already are, which it's, it's shocking to believe that you could make something as bad as it is in China right now, flooding worse than what it is. But um, I, I guess what are your thoughts on that? Well, <clears throat> could there be an October surprise coming that, you know, are they going to wait till after the election type of thing? The Chinese like to be very cagey about how they buy stuff. You know, they never really want people to tell, to to know how desperate they are until after the fact. So right. I I don't I'm not sure they're going to push the panic button um, necessarily until the elections, or at least we get through the election day. Um, but we will say this: I mean, it's just not agriculture. I mean, 
if you look at copper imports, right. rec- record setting copper. I mean, so they're just, they're just doing buying across the board. Like, uh, and, and I, and I, that could be a few things. Uh, it could be that they're worried that, that there could be, that us could put tariffs back on, or that there, there could be uh, whoever gets in is going to be much more draconian to the Chinese and, and put the hammer down. And maybe before they, they, we get to that point, they just want to buy whatever they can. So they don't get caught having to get involved in that. Um, but when it comes to agriculture, clearly they had three typhoons. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, I, epic. I, I've yeah. truly never seen this before. I went back as long as I could go hundreds of years trying to find a time where three typhoons went into Northeast China grain belt within one week's or two weeks time. I, I just couldn't find another example of it. I mean, there was, a, and so, so they've had epic flooding just as they're supposed to get the wheels turned to get the crop in and harvested. So you think I was bad with flat and corn and <laughs> wind damage and flood damage. I mean, you know, the reality is we don't, we will never know what the truth is over there because we can't get good information other than it can't be good. It cannot be good. We already know the flooding in the South Yangtze river Valley, uh, which is by, by the way, they're getting heavy rains there again. So though that flooding is, is, is reviving again. They just have a lot, their food production is going to be way down. And so I think some of the reason they're buying beyond election positioning is that they really, they're trying to get ahead of the curve. Remember, they're going to have their January, February holidays again, like they always do. They want to be stocked up with food. And it looks like they're going to have a whole lot less uh, domestically than they were supposed to. So a whole bunch of things that come into play to, to, to make this happen. Um, and so uh, all that being said, uh, it does paint a very bullish picture for 2021, but there could be uh, a period of pause, uh, meaning that they are going to harvest something. I mean, it's not like they're not going to have. It's not like they're going to have zero crop. They're going to harvest something. The elections are going to happen, and they and they may stop buying and wait and see and just see what happens post elections. Who's going to get in? How things are going? What are the actual policies going to be? Um, so, so there could be a, uh, a yin and a yang here where they're buying like crazy and then they pull back from it. Maybe, maybe that's what brings the markets down, Casey, so they just decide to step back, say, hey, we did a lot of buying, but we need to know what we're dealing with here before we do any more. And, and maybe that's what's going on. It's, it's a lot of gamemanship, I think. And so time to be just, I just think once again, with all these uncertainties, no one can know the pathway through the elections perfectly other than to say that longer term, they're going to have to be a big buyer of U.S. ag. Short term, they could pull the switch for a little while, and we need to be careful not to get caught in some kind of a downswing air pocket for a little while post-elections. And that's what we're worried about. That's what smart money is saying to be worried about. And that's why we're saying that if you're in the short-term business of selling some cash grain, cash uh, supplies, you, know, you might want to get you might want to get that done and just make sure you don't get you don't get caught having to sell the low again. That's 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 the the general view that we we don't want to go into this high risk election period without having those critical sales that you need to make being made on a rally that we've already had that's been pretty pretty unusual, counter seasonal, um, and um, and much appreciated, of course. Yep. So. All right. So this, I want to jump back and talk about lumber for a minute, and just just because of the I was working on my fence the other weekend, <clears throat> sold our house, so I had to fix the fence, you know, to to sell it and. I went to Home Depot, the local Home Depot here, and they had, you know, every place I went, I was trying to find pressure-treated lumber, couldn't find it, and it looked like, you know, pretty well everything had been picked through, and I'm like, When's your, where's all your stuff at? And the guy said, we're lucky to get what we got. 
I think that kind of showed it there. So back to your point about, about lumber prices going parabolic, I mean, I totally agree because I'm not denying that at all because I just bought some lumber and it was expensive comparatively to what, it, what I remember it being the last time I bought lumber. Um, I mean, especially the stuff that's going on with Iowa and there's, there's, I mean, a lot of this isn't so much a supply issue as it is a supply chain issue with lumber, getting it from <clears throat> from the force through the mills out to the stores. I mean, this whole COVID-19 thing has got everything slowed down. So talk about lumber a little bit and what you see there. Well, think of what happened with the hog and cattle markets when the packing houses couldn't bring the animals through. It was terrible for the animal price, but it was it was a moonshot for the and for the pork price and for the beef prices. We couldn't we couldn't make it. You know, we, we couldn't bring the animals through. So we had this parabolic rise in the end user price for both, even though the cattle and hog prices were falling. That's exactly what happened here in lumber. We had all the mills shut down due to, due to the virus. Oh my gosh. You know, there's no, there's not going to be any demand. So everybody shut down. Everybody was, you know, the employees didn't come back when they tried to shut them to turn them back on because everyone's worried about the virus. And, and then of course we reopened the economy. Housing has turned out to be maybe not as bad as people thought, at least for now, because of this migration away from the cities and into the rural areas and housing. So all of a sudden, you know, all these builders had drawn down their, 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 their supplies down uh, to low levels and they all had to restock at the same time. But of course, all the lumber mills are closed and they can't get open right away because, hey, it's hard to do it right away normally. And in, and in a period of COVID pandemic, it's even harder. So it took an exorbitantly long period of time for them to catch up. But we had put out a communique about a week, uh, actually about two weeks ago, that we were thinking we could the bubble could pop because our our expectation with our research was that these owners were finally going to get fired up enough, and that the lumber supply was going to pick up enough that and the and the end user was going to get his needs taken care of enough that we would get this uh, an imbalance and we'd have a crash in the marketplace. Um, and so that's what started to happen. We were up there around 800 on the November contract. I think we closed yesterday at 578 or something like that. And, and so we, we, we crashed because now that everyone's filled up again, paying the high price, um, and now that the lumber mills are, are fired up again to make all this lumber, we now have an imbalance the opposite way. And so it's a classic uh, crash, you know, boom, bust cycle in, 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 the, in the lumber market, just like we saw in the beef price, just like we saw in the hog price when we had those closures and those plants. It will normalize, but, um, but that's what I'm trying to say is you got to be very careful uh, in this market right now where you have these mixed forces going on that can cause significant buying, but also can cause uh, you know, an air pocket uh, out of nowhere. And you have to be very careful. Volatility is the key theme we want to convey right now Casey's, we think there's going to be a lot of up and down, but we've had mostly up for a while, but we're going to have a, we're going to have a lot of downside volatility too. And, and, and producers need to make sure they're opportunistic, um, especially when they need to make short term sales. So, yeah, that, that lumber thing was crazy. Cause I was looking at, uh, <clears throat> wife and I were, were, were kind of going down the path of building a house and, and we were looking at stuff and some of these two by, I mean, I guess just a simple two by four that usually was, you know, whatever, a couple bucks, you know, and now that we're like, anywhere from three to five bucks. And I've heard out in Iowa where everyone's trying to rebuild the infrastructure that got blown over by the, whatever that's called. What's that called? What was that thing called? That storm, what was it called? Dereco? Yeah, Dereco, that's it. Yeah. 
I can't ever, I can't remember. That's category how they, four. How, how they ever picked that name is beyond me. But th- that that no one can pronounce the name. By the way, yeah, it's, it's odd. <laughs> so anyway, they they were talking like ten dollar two by fours and stuff out there just to, because the demand was so high and then obviously supply was so low. So it, it's going to be that's a that's kind of a mess. I could slow down the economy by itself just because of housing starts. If it's if if your material costs are quadruple what they were. Um, when you started the project, all of a sudden you're. That's well, they a big say that deal. They, they say that the average cost of a home from I guess it was July into the peak in September here, uh, or in August here, uh, went up thirty to forty thousand dollars because of the lumber price alone. Yeah. Um, so you just think of that. That someone's here. Okay, I, I got my price point. I kind of know where I'm at. And all of a sudden, all the builders say, "Nope, we're going to have to raise it thirty thousand on you." Yeah, I mean that's that's. Stiff. Yeah. So that, that brings up another thing. I want to talk to you real quick about the economy and, and housing and what that looks like. So that same scenario you just laid out, I was thinking about the other day when I was driving down the road because I was listening to a podcast and they're talking about how the Fed is, if they keep going down the same path that they're going down, they're going to not only be guaranteeing all the loans, that, that the housing loans that get written, they're also going to own all the housing loans. So they're going to be, in, they're going to be, you know, issuing funds and insuring the same thing at the same time. So it's like a incredible, it's like a Ponzi scheme. I don't know how else to explain it, but it's, it's, uh, if you start looking at these houses that are going to be underwater by 30, 50,000 bucks, just because of the price of materials that went up after this thing goes down, what, what's your thought about that, how that's going to affect the overall market as a it's whole? It's not good. It's not a good case. Hey, remember this this impulse buying we've seen from this migration away from the cities to the rural. It's it's kind of a mini bubble. I mean, it's not going to continue. You know, everyone's panic buying these properties, um, and and so what happens is all of a sudden everybody who want, who's panic bought just like the lumber market. Everybody who panic bought the lumber market paid eight eight hundred two weeks ago. It's now five seventy five. You know, uh, so so the demand all of a sudden is just going to go away because it's not sustainable. Remember, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which was the primary loaner of home loans uh, in 2008, both of them went into conservatorship, meaning that they not both of them were bankrupt. And so the government took them over um, and basically has been doing this Ponzi scheme, like you said, all along. Um, so we kind of been already been, and the Fed printed the money to make it all happen. I mean, so we, we actually have already been doing this. Um, and the only difference now is, it, the, the, the numbers just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and that means the amount of money that has to be printed to support it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And at some point you wonder, you know, how long that can go on. I don't know. You know, maybe can it go on forever? Probably not. Um, so it's just, it's just a really strange situation that we don't actually have a real market anymore um, for home. Like, like we used to, it's really a, kind of an artificial market that's driven by the government. Um, and, and I guess we could say that about a lot of industries now are starting to become more government led, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, this is a whole other topic about government control and government intervention, all the lack of free markets. I mean, it's a whole nother podcast, but it's, you know, we're moving down to, you know, it's that we're moving towards a more of a government controlled economy versus a free economy. And, um, that's been the trend and it doesn't look like it's going to slow down anytime soon, Casey. Yeah. So. so one last thing while we're on this topic and, I struggled to wrap my head around how this works, but 
the dollar index has been bouncing around, you know, 91 to 93 here the last couple, well, last three weeks, really. I mean, since since the the last issuance of uh, the $6 trillion, kind of over the last three weeks, is kind of starting to kind of bubble up here a little bit. So the dollar is getting, getting weaker, which is great for exports, right? And if we have, if the dollar is lower and, and we have the supply people need, that should sh that should shine a little bit of a light on on the U.S. commodities anyway. That there should be some good opportunity coming to kind of what you've been talking about going into twenty one. Yeah, I mean the long term trend for the dollar is now down. We've we've officially completed this rounding top. Remember, there's a reliable eight year cycle of the dollar going from bottom to top, top to bottom, and um, so you know, we are clearly in in this downswing now. Short term, though, you, know, you, you talked about a little, uh, little bubbling up here a little bit. The main reason the dollar has found a bid is because of this <laughs> uh, pre-exit fiasco is, re is resurfaced again. Um, Boris um, has decided he wants to change the rules of the original agreement he made a year ago. <laughs> he says, yeah, we actually didn't really like that agreement, so we, we, we want to change it. And, <laughs> and the EU is going, what? You can't, you can't do that. Yeah, we're going to do it anyway. I know we're breaking up. It, it, that's we're going to do it. So, so that's thrown this whole thing into in, chaos again. That they may actually go through a hard break again. We're, we're almost back to where we started. So that's brought some safety trade back into the U.S. dollar, Casey, uh, at least short term. And 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 listening to Boris, it, it, <laughs> you know, and and they have until December thirty first to come up with this. What they're supposed to do is negotiate the terms of the post exit, but if they're going to, and they have to do it by December 31st, but if they insist on changing the original agreement, then if they can't come to new terms on December 31st, then it's a hard break. So the dollar may actually catch a bit here for a little while because of this pre exit fiasco that's resurfacing. Um, it's just insanity. It's all I can tell you. It's, it's, it's complete insanity. So they've, they've changed that agreement what two or three times now and gone back and renegotiated this and renegotiated that and it's just i think i think they've agreed to, to disagree yeah <laughs> sounds like it yeah they've they've uh because they've had that hard break thing in there like like two or three two different times now i think that they're if they didn't do something by this date they were gonna done and then they're like well we'll extend that and then it sounds like now they're like whatever you guys yeah, do what you, yeah, want. you know what? we didn't really really want that deal so we're gonna just change it now yeah it's crazy. <laughs> Absolutely nuts, man. Yeah. Well, so the world is a uh, tumultuous place right now, for sure. All right, man. Well, Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and talk to you about what you have to offer or what you can do for them. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Lots of good stuff on there to see if what we do might be of value to your listeners. Right on. Well, I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. I'd like to thank Sean for being a guest here weekly on, on the Moving Iron Podcast. If you want to find me, find me at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Also, check out movingironllc.com for the latest information about the Moving Iron Podcast as well as the Moving Iron Summit coming up January 20th through the 22nd in Nashville, Tennessee at the Renaissance Hotel downtown. Um, that is going to be the same program that was going to happen in September, but due to COVID-19, we, we had to reschedule that. So, uh, Sean will be there. He'll be talking about what you know, the same stuff you hear here, but more in depth into kind of what he sees happening going into 21 and 22 as well. And uh, so there'll be some other great speakers as well. So if you have if you have a desire to check that out, hit me up and I'll get you the information on that. 
and uh, we'll get you squared away. Also, check out the Global Ag Network. Great folks over there at the uh, Dryland Farmer Podcast. If you're looking for something funny during the day, Brett, Brent and the fellows over there are going to be sure to make you laugh. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's go with some iron, folks. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here.